0: Hello friends, and welcome to Sterile Field Guide, a podcast dedicated to medical student general surgical education. I'm Alex and I'll be your guide. Hello friends and welcome back to Serial Field Guide. This is episode 20 and we are going to continue talking about critical care and ICU topics by starting to talk about ventilator settings. This is sometimes hard to picture without images. So again, make sure that you check out the Instagram. Probably there will be some figures on TikTok as well, but Instagram, you'll be able to sort of study those figures. I'm going to be talking about some data in this as well. So I'll try to mention the papers that I am talking about, but those links can be found in the show description as well as the names of the paper on the Instagram. So make sure you check those out if you're curious about digging in a little bit deeper. I want to start by crediting a lot of my knowledge on ventilator settings to Dr. Merrick Miles. She gave an excellent talk on ventilator settings and i am going to relay some of that information to you today so I would not be who I am without UpToDate and also Dr. Miles, so you're not listening to this, but I appreciate your help (laughs) when thinking about ventilator settings. So before we talk about the actual machine and all of the different settings and what fancy acronyms you're going to say on rounds, we first need to talk about the difference between oxygenation and ventilation and the different ways that you can control those things because choosing a ventilator setting has a lot to do with what you're trying To control and adjustments that you're making to the ventilator also has a lot to do with what you're trying to control, but also the patient dynamics as well is going to impact that. But before you can even begin making those decisions, you need to know what impacts oxygenation and ventilation. So oxygenation has to do with oxygenating the blood. So this has a lot to do with your oxygen saturation that you're getting on your pulse ox or your SAO2 that you are getting on your blood gas. This has a lot to do with moving oxygen in, participating in gas exchange, and this is determined by two things that you can control with your ventilator. And that is going to be your FiO2 or your fraction of inspired oxygen and your PEEP, which is positive and expiratory pressure. So FiO2 is essentially the, the percent of oxygen that you are delivering. When we are breathing in room air, we're getting about 21% FiO2. When you are giving oxygen to patients, you can dial this up all the way to hundred, we'll talk about why that's not necessarily the best idea sometimes, um, in the next episode, but FiO2 is something that you can control to deliver more oxygen and then PEEP is positive and expiratory pressure you've probably heard this before. And this is essentially the pressure that you are delivering at baseline to prevent lungs from fully collapsing. So this is a pressure that is always being delivered. So when you are inspiring air with the ventilator and expiring air, you're never going to get to zero pressure. Okay, so you're always going to have that five centimeters of water of the PEEP, not always five, but you're going to have some PEEP um, that's going to be sort of stenting those alveoli open because we know when we think about babies who do not have surfactant, they can't keep their alveoli open, they have collapse. they have this terrible atelectasis and they can't breathe. The same thing happens if you have no air in your lungs and the ventilator is sucking all of the air out of your lungs. So you want to keep some PEEP in there to keep those alveoli open, prevent atelectasis because we want to oxygenate. and we need your alveoli to participate in gas exchange. Increasing PEEP can maybe recruit a couple more alveoli, and by recruit I mean sort of pop them open so that you can participate in more gas exchange. So that is what PEEP is, and you can help improve your oxygenation by improving the amount of alveoli that are participating in gas exchange, which then is going to make your breaths that you are delivering more effective at improving oxygen. And that is how PEEP impacts oxygenation. (laughs) Okay, so to summarize what I just said, FiO2 and PEEP are the two things that are going to increase oxygenation. For ventilation, ventilation is the process of moving carbon dioxide out of your body. And carbon dioxide, if you remember acid base, is going to work as an acid. So if you have too much carbon dioxide, so you're not breathing enough uh, CO2 out, you're going to have respiratory acidosis. If you breathe a ton of carbon dioxide out, if you're hyperventilating, you can become alkalotic. And so it is important to note how much carbon dioxide you are moving. Carbon dioxide, Carbon dioxide is not your enemy, but if you have too much of it or too little of it, it is an issue. So the ventilation is determined by minute ventilation and the equation for minute ventilation or the things that contribute to minute ventilation maybe is easier for you to picture is tidal volume and respiratory rate. And this makes sense because your respiratory rate, let's say it's 10 times per minute. Okay. So we know that we're going to get 10 times something per minute and your tidal volume is the amount of volume that you are breathing in, which with each breath. So that would be 10 times. This volume of breath is going to be our minute ventilation. So the, the equation, if you're ever asked is going to be tidal volume times respiratory rate equals minute ventilation. And this is typically around four to six liters per minute. Not always people, people vary, but typically four to six liters per minute. Okay. So now talking about different airway pressures that you should be aware of. So we already talked about PEEP. There are some other things that you should be aware of that become more important, especially when we're thinking about ventilators and protecting people's lungs. So there's something called a peak pressure and a plateau pressure. So a peak pressure is the absolute highest that the pressure in your airway gets when you are delivering a breath. So when I say delivering a breath, I mean on inspiration, when the machine is giving a breath, it's measuring the airway pressure. And so how, what is the absolute highest? That is the peak pressure that makes sense. This is typically the same as plateau pressure and plateau pressure is like how high does the pressure get if you were to hold the whole inspired breath that I gave you. So let's say I, this is going to be a fake number, but let's say I gave you 500 milliliters of air. Okay. So now hold your breath. What is that pressure? That's going to be your plateau pressure, the peak pressure and the plateau pressure can be different. And the peak pressure can be higher than the plateau pressure. If there is like inertia that the, the air has to come over to, to get to the pressure that it desires or to get to the volume that it desires, depending on the mode of the ventilator. So the peak pressure can be higher. Usually is the same as the plateau pressure. I know that's a little bit confusing, but. That that Those are the two pressures that you need to know about. And the plateau pressure, the peak pressure, we want to be below 40. And this is called the peak inspiratory pressure or the PIP, PIP, less than 40. And then the plateau pressure, which is going to estimate alveolar pressure at the end of inspiration. We want this to be less than 30. If you have these pressures get out of control, you can have something called barotrauma, which is where you have too much pressure and this can damage the lungs because you have delivered too much pressure and now you have tissue damage and now you're not going to be able to participate in gas exchange the way that you want to. It's a bad it's a bad thing. You don't want to do that to patients and that is absolutely a risk of Ventilation. So we want to make sure that we are being mindful of the pressures that we are delivering as well as the volumes. Because in addition to barotrauma, you can get volutrauma. Barotrauma is something that you'll hear very frequently. So something that you want to be really mindful of are the pressures. And you, <laughs> if you spend enough time around ventilators, you will start to know when the ventilator is yelling at you for a pressure issue. Which happens pretty frequently actually. So you'll, you'll hear those noises. Don't you worry. So speaking of the machines that are going to yell at you, there are modes of ventilation and these different modes are going to allow you to choose what variables you are most interested in controlling. So some variables that you are able to control with a ventilator are going to be the volume of air that you're delivering, the pressure that you are delivering. So overall, if I want to keep the pressure below 30 of a plateau pressure, I can decide that. Um, You get to decide your respiratory rate, you can decide your FiO2 and your PEEP. The thing is you can't control all of these at the same time typically. So you have to sort of pick and choose. You You can always control your PEEP, you can always control your FiO2, but your volume and your pressure are sometimes sort of at odds with each other. So you have to choose one or the other simply put, it's more complicated than that, but simply put, you can't control all of these things at the same time. So we are going to start by talking about the different modes that you can have. And so the first thing is called volume control. So this in a logical sense means that you are controlling the volumes. You, you are in control of the tidal volume and the peak flow rate. So the tidal volume is going to be the volume given with each breath. And this is typically measured in milliliters. And then you are also in control of the peak flow or the volume max. And this is the rate that the volume is delivered. So this is so that you don't just blast somebody with the full tidal volume at once um, because that would that would be an issue. <laughs> we, we don't want to do that. So you are, again, with volume control in, in charge of the tidal volume and the flow rate. You can choose volume control when patients have weak respiratory effort and they don't have super stiff lungs where the volume is going to stay pretty consistent and giving that much volume isn't suddenly going to be too much pressure. The thing about volume control is that the pressure is variable depending on patient physiology. So if for some reason now the airway pressure, they've got bronchoconstriction or some sort of issue where now their lungs are less compliant and you're delivering the same volume to these really stiff lungs the pressure is going to increase and that is something that you risk when you have volume control all of these modes have their own risks so it's important to recognize what you are trying to do with your ventilator setting as well as the potential risks and who is the right patient for which mode The pros of volume control is you know what their minute ventilation is because you are controlling every single bit of that. Um, You control how much they're breathing in and out. This is really good for titrating something like acidosis. Of course, you you can get their carbon dioxide out, and that's awesome because you know exactly how much they're breathing out and in. The cons of this we already talked about. The pressures can change a lot. You do have a risk of barotrauma if something could happen. And then you also can have leaks in your circuit. So like when you think about problems with ventilation, there's this paradigm that's like man versus machine. And man isn't very inclusive. So maybe person versus machine. And so the machine issues can be anything that's wrong with the machine or with your circuit. And the circuit is like the tubing and the tube and anything external to the patient that could cause. As a problem, and so the the person issues here is that the patient can have changes in their physiology that are going to increase airway pressure, and then you're delivering this volume, and now you have barotrauma, and that's not really what you were hoping to do (laughs) when you ventilated this patient. But then the machine side of this is you can have leaks in your circuit, so what you think you are delivering is sort of like leaking into the atmosphere. And so your patient isn't seeing that total volume. So it is important to, to obviously with all of these modes, make sure that your machine is working correctly. But if you start to run into trouble and the patient doesn't seem to have any changes in their their airway pressures, then you can think about the machine being the issue. And that is true for like most things ventilatory. It's like think about person, patient versus machine and like what what sorts of things can go wrong with each of those. And that's gonna help you form your differential. The next phase or the next mode that we'll talk about is pressure control. You make sense, control the pressure in this mode. So you control the pressure limit and the time spent in inspiration. Um, so you care mostly about the pressure of inspiration. So the inspiratory pressure. And we talked about peak inspiratory pressure, which is PIP. And the the equation, there's so many equations. The equation is PIP. So peak inspiratory pressure equals the pressure of inspiration or inspiratory pressure plus the PEEP. So we care mostly about the inspiration pressure, not about the peak inspiratory pressure. Although we don't want the PIP to get greater than 40, like we mentioned before. So you can set the inspiration time, um, slow versus fast or intermediate, of course. And then the volume. So just like with volume control, the pressure is variable with pressure control. The volume is variable, but the pressure is constant. So if the patient for, some reason now has increased resistance in their circuit you're going to deliver less volume or if now they have much less resistance in your circuit you're going to have a lot of volume and so it can be really variable what volume you are delivering to the patient so that puts you at risk of volume trauma if all of a sudden they can take on a whole bunch more volume, but the pressure stays the same. You have a little bit less risk of barotrauma with pressure control because you are controlling the pressure. The next mode that we'll talk about is called PRVC. You'll hear it called PRVC. Um, It's pressure regulated volume control. This is sort of a mix of the two that we talked about already. So the things that you are setting up front is you're gonna set a goal title volume, a regulation pressure, pressure that you don't really want to go above, and then a rate. And the first breath that the machine is going to give the patient on PRVC is a volume control breath. So it's going to give a set volume and then it's going to calculate and it's going to get feedback on what the pressure was when it gave that volume of a breath. And so the next breath that it's going to give is a pressure control breath. So it's going to figure out like, if I give this volume, what's the pressure? Okay, I know that I want this tidal volume, but I don't want to go above this pressure. And so I'm going to sort of tinker and play around with what I can give safely based on the parameters that the physician has set. So that is pretty cool for PRVC. I think that's an interesting um, and really useful ventilatory mode. And it tries to keep, tries to keep you within your goal tidal volume. Of course, it's not going to put the patient at risk by going above the pressure that you have set. And so it's going to sort of not give you, it's like best of both worlds. There's a lot of collaboration between the tidal volume and the regulation pressure. So you, you will probably not get exactly what you want from both of those sets, but you may get a really nice balance. And again, the machine will yell at you if the pressure gets too high. um, and you may have to make some adjustments just like with the other modes, this comes with its trade off. So you won't necessarily get the same tidal volume each breath since there is that component of pressure control and you probably you won't get exactly the same pressure each time because it depends on how much tidal volume the patient took in the last time, and patients change, so there's a lot of variability with each breath. But the pros is that it's sort of adjusting based on the patient's physiology as you go. So PRVC is a pretty pretty popular ventilatory mode. Another thing that we'll talk about is called BiVent, and BiVent is like BIPAP, um, which is not an in, not necessarily an invasive airway support measure, but bivent is like BiPAP, but invasive. Um, And it has a cycle of high pressures versus low pressures. And you spend more time in the high pressure support mode than you do in the low pressure support mode. But this essentially is providing airway pressure and it allows for recruitment of alveoli. Patients are able to breathe in this mode. So they're not necessarily, actually, they're not at all paralyzed. Um, They do need to breathe. During, during this mode, and so they will not be paralyzed, um, and they should be able to breathe a little bit on their own when they're in the bivent mode. The cons of this is that you have increased intrathoracic pressure constantly with this constant positive pressure ventilation. And so this can cause venous compression, just like any sort of increased intrathoracic pressure, you can have less blood return to the heart, and this can sort of be like an obstructive shock picture. So, something to think about when you are doing Bivent. If patients have sort of a tenuous volume status and they're not getting a lot of blood return to their heart at baseline or they are really volume dependent, then think Thinking about bivent and making sure and thinking about any sort of positive pressure ventilation. You need to to make sure that the patient is still going to be able to like circulate blood. Because just because you're providing air doesn't mean that you you can't uh, be damaging other systems. All right. The next mode that we'll talk about is pressure support. So we talked about pressure control and we talked about volume control. So now we're moving into some support methods. And so pressure support is going to be when a patient is able to spontaneously trigger a breath on their own. And by trigger, I mean that the the ventilator is noticing that the patient is trying to take a breath in. So that is what people mean when they say triggering. So with pressure support, patients can trigger spontaneous breaths. And you control the pressure support, the peep and the flow percent cutoff and we'll talk about what that means. So essentially patients can breathe on their own and the ventilator will give them pressure support to make that breath easier. So if a patient triggers, the the ventilator knows to provide a certain amount of pressure to the patient to make that breath easier. And just like when you take a breath in, you don't have a constant flow. You often start out fast and then slow down. So take a big breath right now and sort of pay attention to the rate at which you're breathing and how much air is moving. So when you first start out, you're going to move a lot of air and then you're going to slow down. And just like that's going to happen for you, once you once you reach like a certain inspiratory flow, the ventilator is going to be like, okay, yeah, I should probably cut off this pressure support so that they're able to breathe out. Um, And so that is sort of like how pressure support works. And if you do not trigger a breath, pressure support will give you a breath. And that is like target that is able to be programmed into pressure support. Something that we should talk about is called assist control. So assist control can be like in addition to any of these different modes but assist control is not a mode but it is an interaction and so assist control is essentially when the patient triggers a breath the machine is going to give them a full tidal volume and so this is like if a patient is pretty weak or we just want them to like start triggering their own breaths we can give them the full tidal volume and this is pretty cool because the patient is triggering their breaths and sort of like starting to move down the path of breathing on their own. The problem with this is that if the patient is triggering a ton of breaths and you are giving them a full tidal volume every single time, then they can be hyperventilating and become alkalotic and it's a whole problem. So, and if they don't take a breath within a certain amount of time, it will give a breath just like we talked about with pressure support. Um, this can result in something that's called auto peep and we haven't talked about auto peep before, but don't worry. We're about to, so auto peep is when the patient isn't able to breathe out all of the air that they have inspired before the next breath is triggered. Um, and this can happen when like the respiratory rate is a little bit too high or patients are triggering their own breaths and there's a dyssynchrony and all these different things. So, but Essentially, there's gonna be more volume in the lungs at the end of expiration than there was when you started the breath before. So now you have a little bit of extra volume in the lungs, which is contributing to your PEEP. So remember that PEEP is like this constant flow of air that is going to keep those alveoli open. Well, now you haven't been able to expire all of the air that was in your lungs from the prior breath. So your PEEP is higher and now we're also going to give you another breath. So your peep can kind of stack. You can have like peep stacking or breath stacking and your, your peep is going to get really high and then you can auto peep into oblivion and then get barotrauma. So auto peeping is not great <laughs> um, and we sort of want to avoid that. But that is something that can happen with assist control. Another thing that's not a mode, but is an interaction is called SIMV and SIMV can be combined with volume control, pressure control, PRVC. There are many ways to be ventilated and it can be a little bit hairy and complicated, but I hope this is like a good, (laughs) good introduction and at least introduces you to the things that you might need to read a little bit more about. But for SIMV, you essentially set a mandatory respiratory rate, which is broken up over time. And let's say that I I want you to take, do I remember how math works? Let's say I want you to take 10 breaths per minute. So there's going to be a six second period that you are going to need to take a breath in. And within that six second period, there is a mandatory and a spontaneous phase. So that six second period is broken up into mandatory and spontaneous. If a patient triggers, which again means tries to take a breath during the mandatory phase, the the machine is going to give them a full tidal volume. And this is like assist control. So during the mandatory phase where I have said you absolutely need to take a breath during this time, you are going to get a full tidal volume. Thank you so much to the ventilator for providing me this air. I really appreciate it. You got a full breath. Awesome. So you're definitely going to meet your 10 breaths per minute because if you don't take a breath within the six seconds, I'm going to give you during the mandatory phase, I'm going to give you a breath. If you try to take a breath during the mandatory phase, I'm going to give you a breath. So you're going to get your 10 breaths. If the patient triggers during the spontaneous phase, so the spontaneous phase of that six second period, the ventilator says, you go ahead, baby, you do what you want to do. I'll give you a little bit of pressure to help, but I'm not giving you any more tidal volume because I've already given you what you need for this minute, or I will be giving you what you need for this minute. So the tidal volume that the patient is taking in during the spontaneous phase is totally patient driven. So the patient is going to decide, okay, well, I want a little bit more. That's fine, but you have to work for it. And that is sort of what SIMV is doing. Okay, so that is a lot on the different modes of, of ventilators. And I think thinking about ventilators, starting to think about ventilators as a medical student, you are going to see that a lot of plans for patients who are on ventilators is going to sound a lot like wean vent as tolerated or wean to extubate because the overarching goal of this therapy is to get patients back to a place where they can breathe on their own and they can function without ventilator support but what does it look like what does it mean to wean to extubate or to wean the vent as tolerated so there are things called minimals or minimal ventilator settings you may hear about this there's some mixed data. People don't like them. Some people like them, whatever. If you want to be familiar with what minimals are or historically have been a minimal ventilator setting is typically a peep of five and five of pressure support, which is going to be like your minim- minimal ventilator setting. Patients are sort of breathing on their own. This is obviously not going to be in a setting where patients like are totally ventilator dependent or not triggering any of their own breaths. Like that's not going to be a minimal ventilator setting. So you probably wouldn't do a spontaneous breathing trial on a patient who is paralyzed and cannot trigger their own breaths or has not met safety checklists for a spontaneous breathing trial. And a lot of centers have their own protocols for when spontaneous breathing trials should happen. A spontaneous breathing trial, I should mention, is where you, the Respiratory therapist typically is going to change the ventilator settings and allow the patient to show, okay, can you breathe on your own? And typically during this time, you're also going to wean their sedation because if patients are sedated, it's going to be harder for them to breathe. So spontaneous breathing trials are often now Paired with spontaneous awakening trials where patients are awakened each day to show, like, do I still need, first question, do you still need sedation to be able to receive this therapy? Because you don't need to be totally asleep to be ventilated if you're not going to fight the ventilator and you're not going to, like, go wild. So not everybody who's ventilated needs sedation or paralysis. And second question, spontaneous breathing trial, if you are awake and you can tolerate this, can you also be extubated? Are you able to breathe on your own? Do you need this anymore? And you should be thinking about these things every day when you have a patient who is ventilated. Are we getting to a place where we could extubate these patients? Because being intubated is not without risk, Patients probably don't love it, especially being awake with it, I'm sure, isn't super comfortable. But even further than that, being intubated for a long time can have long-lasting consequences, such as laryngeal trauma, dysphonia. You can have tracheal stenosis from that. You can have ulceration of your airway, you can have formation of granulation tissue, and then that scars, and it's gonna involve the recurrent laryngeal nerve. So now you have vocal changes forever. So essentially all that to say, try to keep intubation to a minimum. And if patients aren't moving to a place where extubation is possible, and it's been like a week and a half, two weeks, you need to start thinking about more permanent options, such as like tracheostomy. So, and is that within the patient's goals of care? Do we need to get family involved? These sorts of things. So intubation is not something that we want patients to be on long-term and it definitely has risks. So, Essentially, when we're thinking about safety for being extubated, you need to be able to protect your airway. And that is an important part of being able to tolerate extubation because not being able to protect your airway is an indication for intubation. So if we extubate you, but you can't follow commands, you're not breathing on your own, you're slouching all over the place, you're choking on your secretions, like that's not a recipe for success and may cause more harm to the patient than just leaving them intubated for a little while longer. So that is important and again, Centers typically have a protocol for when it's safe to do a spontaneous breathing trial. There is evidence that spontaneous awakening trials, which means that you wean sedation to see if you can get away without sedati- sedating this intubated patient, leads to earlier extubation. And the the trial that talked about this essentially said that before they were doing this, like physicians would sort of guesstimate or try to figure out like based on their clinical intuition if these patients still needed intubation and after they started this trial they found out that the intuition is often wrong and so being able to wean sedation to see like, let's let the patient show us what they can do instead of trying to guess based on their clinical picture because it's very cloudy from like a sedated patient. It's hard to tell what's going on. So spontaneous awakening trials um, have sort of come into favor. They lead to earlier extubation. And there's also a decreased risk of delirium in patients who have spontaneous awakening trials daily. And delirium, which we haven't talked about a whole lot, has actual real-life long-term consequences like cognitive dysfunction. It can contribute to the decline of people. Some people will never be the same after delirium. And I know that it seems like this silly thing where patients get confused and but, – but they get better and it's fine. But, like, it really, really matters. Delirium prevention is extremely important and not doing that has real-life consequences. So – That's my soapbox. It's been 30 minutes. So we, in the next episode, I wanted to talk about ARDS in this episode and I started doing the notes and then I had like six pages of notes. So ARDS and ventilator settings and management of ARDS is going to be episode 21. So we will talk about that next week, but I hope that you learned a lot. Make sure you check out the Instagram for the different pictures and charts and what these things look like if you got confused because I sure know that I would if I was listening to this the first time. I hope you're having a a lovely time learning to be a doctor and I will talk to you next week. Bye! That's it for today's podcast. You can support this podcast and receive exclusive educational content on Patreon and find us on Instagram at sterile field guide questions and requests can be submitted to our Gmail at sterile at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. And until next time, may your retraction be superb and your suture tails be the perfect length.